0: For him, how have you been uh, traveling this this
1: weekend? I'm assuming
0: still busy
1: as oh, way too busy, way too busy. What weekend for me?
0: Ha, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've got uh, I'm in a, a slightly different location in the uh, the the house, so hopefully the the Wi-Fi is not going to be overly affected. I've got got family down from uh, from upstate, so uh, from up in New South. So that, that's been good. Join, catch you up with them doing a, a bit of a a bit of cooking, which is which is fun to do. Have everyone around the the table and have a good feed, some roast dinners and some chickens, and got some uh, fish happening to tonight. So yeah, looking forward to that.
1: How delightful! Um, yeah. Well, considering the time zone difference and everything at this point, we might crack on with our first topic, um, and should anger join later, then I can bring him out.
0: Yeah, yeah, that sounds like that sounds like a good idea.
1: Awesome. All right. So our first topic uh is just a bit of a poll roundup, I'd say. Uh we've yep. got a couple of polls in the last week, mainly from Resolve, although I do believe there was a New South Wales news poll in there. Um right. that probably no surprise for Victoria. Uh once again, Daniel Andrews is still on track. Uh, for a Dan slide at two, as the age aptly calls it, estimating labor 's primary vote at forty two percent in Victoria, while the Liberals are on a new low of twenty eight percent yeah, just I, when I we don 't it couldn't go any lower <laughs> <laughs> uh, um i I have to wonder if, like the Victorian Liberals at this point have just decided to try and outdo the w a liberals.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> race to the bottom
1: We'll have to see But something that may be, may be a little bit more surprising um, Is actually the polling for New South Wales uh, Where the coalition in New South Wales, the government Is now technically the underdog uh, With yes. Labour having 43% of the primary vote there According to Resolve With the combined coalition vote at 30%
0: Yeah, look, that one took me by surprise as as well. You know, I I don't know whether it's uh, just the way it's been reported, but it seems like a very, uh, like quite a rapid, and polls are are polls, they need to be taken with a a grain of salt. But uh, it seems like quite a rapid turnaround. And I know uh, there was an article in the, uh, Age. I can't quite remember the title of now, and part of that they were attributing to was the you know the issue with Barilaro and jobs for the the boys etc however mm-hmm. that's been going for a little while it feels like it's just been suddenly a a, a sting in the tail with these results
1: yeah it's kind of weird because really if anything you would have expected almost the reverse um parties so, incoming governments that are different to their federal counterpart tend to have a bit of a boost uh, rather than having, like, the federal drag, you know, like a Labor yep. government with a Labor federal government. Some people will take their anger out of the federal government on the on the Labor state, um, whereas that just does not seem to be happening in New South Wales. I do give Resolve polling in general a bit of a, you know, asterisk wonk factor, um, right? Especially, especially their state polling. Um, the same state polling uh, a month ago said that Queensland Greens in, well, Queensland, were at 16% of the primary vote, um, you know, which could theoretically be possible based off the federal numbers. But then uh, merely two weeks later has said that that support had gone down to 7% without really any justification or anything happening. So I don't know how much That's a lot of variation. Yeah, just to say, like, oh, like, if suddenly, if uh, like the ALP support in the next uh, resolve poll has just suddenly halved, people would be like, that's weird. Um, but yeah, so not very surprising, but I think it's quite clear that the New South Wales Liberals will have a bit of a fight on their hand in March. Um, I think some people had maybe sort of written off the next, New South Wales election already, you know. Once Gladys had gone and uh, Perceval wasn't acting so yeah. a- as conservative as he was expected to, um. But no, like this f- firmly puts it into being an in- into an interesting contest. Yeah, look, it it, it does. Um, again, yeah, uh, six.
0: It's six months. Uh, six months away, but uh what we've been seeing going on with voting around the the country and by elections and that following the federal election it's probably not going to be a surprise to see a, another uh well probably won't be we wouldn't call an upset but uh, another another surprising re- result
1: mm. uh, a key interesting thing about this should uh new south wales Labor win that would make Tasmania the only Liberal government in in the country. Oh, ah, of course. Which, in my opinion, would probably just solidify the collapse of the Liberal brand. Brand, like, I, th- I think broadly the Liberals are struggling, um, having a bit of an identity crisis. Mm. So,
0: and do you think that's, uh, you know, rotting rotting from the head of the fish down, or do you think it's been? Uh, a, a- a, a general corrosion uh, of the Liberal Party at both state and federal levels.
1: Yeah, it's it's in my opinion a general corrosion. Um, I think the party's probably suffered a bit of entrism, uh from like the Pentecostal right. Um, I think a lot of their traditional voters have kind of um, almost switched off. There's obviously the rise of the Teals, which haven't helped. Um, you could argue that this really began with the knocking off of Malcolm Turnbull, um, because then it became quite clear to a uh, quite a sizable amount of not only their like members and voters and volunteers, right, um, but just like their donors as well that the moderate kind of liberals had sort of lost control of the party, um, which was just. Basically, why and like the moderate liberals were essentially wiped out in twenty twenty two. Um I, I don't know what they do about this at this point. I don't know if they can kind of write in the ship. I know dunton seems to be trying, um, by you know, going, Hi guys, I, I'm not a monster. Um I'm but-
0: not a look of I mean, I, 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 there's no, no secret about it. I'm no, no fan of of Dutton. Uh, he when he was, when he was there with, uh, when Brand during uh, Brandis's time, and I considered considered Brandis a very vain and dangerous man. Uh, Dutton was in the the wings, and I also considered him similarly dangerous to Australia. So I, I don't have any, don't have any love for him hurt at, at all. Uh putting aside my feelings though i'm surprised how well he has been going in this opposition leader role he's he's exceeded my expectations and my expectations for government members are always very low however he has exceeded them and i i think it's it's turned out to be an interesting situation and it's i'm um, a long way from writing him off
1: Mm, no. I wouldn't write Peter Dutton off for the next federal election yet, but should the Liberals come back, I feel like it would be more due to, due to the failings of the current government rather than like any like massive success of the Liberals. I don't see the Liberals suddenly gaining a large mass appeal amongst the voter base and really mobilising their voters and their volunteers. No, no. I see a lot of people switching off from the current like, government instead.
0: Yeah, look, I'd, I'd agree with you on that. And you know, people, our regular listeners know that we've, we've speculated a number of times about, not speculated, we have commented a number of times on the uh, effect of the the teals, some shifting towards the Greens and what seems to be a general discontent amongst the voting population with the, the majors. Uh, so yeah. we... I think don't see any reason at the moment why something like that which has a lot of momentum is going to stop anytime soon and that's bad for labor but at the moment it's even worse for the libs
1: i would definitely agree um which this might actually segue into our next topic quite well, um, which is that Peter Dutton confirms that the coalition is in talks to pass Labor's anti-corruption commission bill. Mm. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, RD?
0: Well, look, I did... A, uh, ran, ..or a, a bit of a comment. There was a 23rd September article in The Guardian, Peter Dutton confirms coalition in talks to pass Labor's anti-corruption commission bill uh that was by paul carp uh the the paragraph there that stood out to me was the liberal leader on friday reiterated his support for the anti-corruption commission uh but warned against but warned against powers so extensive that they could result in show trials or protracted investigations. So my reaction and my thoughts are the massaging and the messaging and the managing begins. Labor and coalition have been in lockstep to grow and enrich government for 35 years. I'd love to be wrong on this, but I I expect the ICAC will be nothing but a showy fizzer. And when I see see bipartisan support for... uh, a, 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 a bureaucracy or a co- committee that can be potentially damaging to either of them. I suspect that they're going to be looking after themselves first and looking after the electorate, uh, second. Look, I, yeah, you know, look, that's my, that's my cynical side. That's my, my skeptical side. Uh, there's no doubt about it that having that structure in place, uh, does have an can have an impact, and it does allow uh, motivated people to use that as a vehicle to hold government to account. Unfortunately, I feel like a lot of the time it's uh, it's intermittent and ceremonial witch burning, rather than uh, seriously throwing out the whole book of spells and getting rid of the magic completely. So. It remains to be seen. I'm happy to be wrong, but I do remain uh, sceptical. What about you?
1: I, when I first read that headline, I was quite concerned. Um, I'm (laughs) also in a similar vein of like an ICAC passed by the major parties probably won't affect the major parties very much. Um, But there's been a couple of things about this that have really kind of even Made my concern a bit more. Um, Hmm. I believe that like the Teals, some Independents, and the Greens would like um, because the 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 draft bill hasn't been released yet. But when it is, they they're pushing for the ICAC to have the ability to like investigate third parties and things like that. Yep. Um, Well, you know, like say for example, retail and property developers. um, Hmm. You know, who may who may or may not be talking to politicians um and but apparently there's just no appetite in that there's a there was a quote i forget which article it's in i'm trying to find it um but it was essentially on this point that there was no appetite in the major parties for the icac to be able to investigate third like external people um because basically it would just be used by like the Greens and the independents to hammer the major parties on like, why are you taking a lot of money from this property developer? Guess. (laughs) It kind of feels like the point of an ICAC, to be honest. Yeah. Isn't one of those sees corruption just from memory. Uh, Maybe, maybe I'm not entirely sure. Um, (laughs) But no, it's, it's concerning. And I think, Another kind of interesting thing about this is it really does highlight the uh, progressive split in, in the Senate because, yeah, Labor has their majority in, in the House. Yep. Um, but when it comes to the Senate, if they want to try and appeal like specifically progressive voters, they can go with the Greens and Pocock. Um, but if they want to try and maybe not, necessarily please those progressive voters to such an extent they can get the coalition on board and i think it would actually probably be in my opinion uh, a smart politicking from dutton to show that he is willing to support labor legislation in general to give that doorway option mm. um to the Labor government which would then sort of sideline basically like, like the teals in general would actually be Basically, silent. Most of them are already in the house, with the main one, um, Pocock, being in the Senate. So, yeah.
0: Well, that's it's 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 basically a version of the enemy, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my uh, my friend, and yeah, I think there's a yeah a good argument for saying that Labor and the Coalition both recognise the threat from the the independents, uh, the Teal and there, I'm using them almost as a generic term, but the independents, the teals, and the the greens, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's politically that makes a that makes a lot of sense. I mean, really, their their job is to keep their job and to stay in power, and I think there's meant to be something about serving the people, uh, but you know, that's their job, and they're going to unite in that. So, I would have more. I think I would have more confidence that we're going to get an ICAC with teeth if uh, the libs were fighting at tooth and nail and it was getting through just with the help of uh, the the independents and and greens and teals. That would change my opinion of it. The fact that now it's now become uh, essentially nice and mainstream is a big red flag for me.
1: Yeah. I I suppose we'll have to see what happens with it. I am actually just looking though at an article uh, by James Campbell from the Daily Telegraph uh, saying that basically the Teals make are making a big mistake with their ICAC demands, wanting it to be uh, done by Christmas. Mm-hmm. Basically, don't worry about it; it'll be done eventually. Um. Oh, I I can see Anger has joined us. Oh, um, from a
0: from across, <laughs> from across the pond.
1: From across the pond.
0: Might be be interesting Interesting. to see, unless if he hasn't been listening to this, it'll be interesting to see what his uh, opinion is on this unprompted.
1: Definitely. Uh, I have invited you, Anger. There we go. Good morning, Anger. How are we?
2: Pip, Pip. Good morning. I am uh, rather good and also quite tired. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, Apricot was doing the, uh, it's 1.30 or something there.
2: Uh, it is, 20 past one in the morning, yes.
0: Well, thank you for making the effort. Yes. We do we do appreciate it. I
2: mean, I, it's, I, thank you for thanking me. I'll let you know later on whether or not I appreciate the thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: Well, question without notice. Do you want to get Angus' uh, opinion, Apricot?
1: Oh absolutely. Um Angus. Um sorry, Anger. Basically <laughs> uh the coalition uh has Peter Dutton has confirmed that he is in talks uh with Labor on passing their ICAC bill in the Senate with coalition support rather than Greens and Pocock. Yes, I saw What this. is your immediate reaction to that?
2: I mean this is really kind of incredibly interesting. Um, I I don't I see the Labour raison d'etre for this happening, I guess. Or rather, all of the information that we have comes from comments from the coalition. Uh, If Labour showed up to um, uh, the media and said, oh, hey, by the way, we're talking to the coalition about the ICAC. Um, I could see kind of a lot of eyebrows being raised in terms of, but why? Uh, You don't need them. Uh, A huge part of the um, uh, campaign was about how they're really bad at this. Uh, There's not really much point. Um, But the information that we have, as far as I'm aware, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is just the coalition being like, yeah, we're talking to Labour. that's fine. Um, Which really doesn't do anything to... Uh, help Labour's position but also has nothing to do with whether or not uh, with um, the fact that Labour is actually talking to the coalition. Like, I haven't seen anything from Labour's point of view saying yes we are absolutely talking to them and uh, taking their feedback with what we're doing. Oh. So until I see something which says that Labour saying like yeah we are engaging um, if the only thing that I'm hearing is the coalition saying yeah of course we're talking to them and of course we're like giving them uh, feedback on what we think uh, The Federal ICAP should look like um, It's kind of a nothing Story
0: uh, That's an interesting <laughs> twist on it We were, we were just talking about a, a few things Related to it but neither of us uh, Neither of us picked up on that point That's a that's an cool. interesting point
1: It's No I mean, but I will
2: say I'm really glad that I am actually <laughs> bringing Up something of interest
1: uh, <laughs> At the moment <laughs> oh dear but what i will say is it not telling in a sense that labor hasn't come out and turned uh peter dutton's off his rocker <laughs> why would we consult like why would we consult with the Liberals? they were terrible they've had like 10 years of corrupt government why would we talk to them i mean they haven't come out and said that,
2: that. that's true but then it doesn't really it doesn't really behoove uh labor to do so um in terms of creating kind of like an us and them environment from the point of view of people who are Mm -hmm. very much on the side of um, Labour, if not further to the left. It's like, of course, why aren't they talking? Why aren't they telling us that like the coalition is awful and blah, blah, blah. But Labour and the coalition agree on a lot of things Um, and they pass a lot of things uh, combined uh, in the lower house and in the Senate. There's no real reason to put um, the coalition offside at this point. Uh, And at the end of the day, when the actual vote gets passed, that's what most people are going to remember, um, who votes for what. So if Labour uh, doesn't say anything now, then when the Federal ICAC uh, gets passed, uh, if the coalition doesn't vote for it, then it doesn't matter what is happening right now because we know that the coalition aren't going to vote for what Labour has pushed forward. If they do vote for it, then, I mean, that's another story, but it's probably going to be more of, the media is going to concentrate on, like, why did the coalition vote for us as opposed to why did Labour create something that the coalition will vote for? And regardless, like, that's going to happen in the future. There's no point, really, uh, for Labour of making a big thing of it now.
1: Hmm. Seems fair. Well, on that note, now that you're here, we may move on uh, to one of our main topics, which is the Queen and the Republic. Yeah. Uh, Anger, you are our British correspondent <laughs> this week. <laughs> How's the mood in the UK? Um.
2: Well... Uh, first of all, I would like to kind of like point out my own biases. I am an anti-monarchist. Uh, I think the entire concept of monarchy is somewhat distasteful. Um, uh, with that in mind, saying this in the UK at the moment is likely to get one beaten up. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not saying it. <laughs> I like genuinely. My um my cousins uh, live in Scotland, and like Scotland is not you know ridiculously nationalistic, where the England is. And they have warned me not to kind of walk around talking about how much I despise monarchy at the moment. Um, it's uh, it, really <sighs> in Scotland that, that surprises me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, look at the end of the day, the monarchy is popular when they're doing popular things like being born, getting married or dying. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it's, Like, these are normal things that everyone does. And everyone's like, oh, good for you. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Look, maybe I could die one day soon. We've got, I've got something in common.
2: And when you do, I will be very um, uh, supportive of you uh, and your family. Yeah. Uh, But, uh, and they're not popular when they are getting divorced or having scandals. Uh so it's not really surprising that at the moment the monarchy is more popular than average, either in the United Kingdom or in Australia. Um uh, it's just I think we're going to have to wait until we get to the uh reality of King Charles the Third in a few years, uh, that people kind of like lose the shine of the entire thing.
0: That's really going to be the mm. test isn't it? I think if there's uh, something that's going to fundamentally change the opinion uh, in the Commonwealth of the, the monarchy, it's going to be the performance of, of Charles. Uh, if, he, if he carries on how he is now, I think it'll be the start of a slow a slow death. but you know he may pull something out of his hat. That, uh will will turn just enough people around or maybe something significant uh and still keep the the monarchy going but he's really the he's really the acid test for the monarchy at this point i i i think
2: so um I have a quick question uh, we do have this kind of um image of the queen as being like fun <laughs> oh. um i guess i like no, we we do um I was wondering what evidence do we have for this
1: she waved at people
2: sometimes i wave at people and no one thinks that's... that i'm fun <laughs> god i remember having but you're usually waving
0: people on pre or something
2: it's okay to be fair like it's not quite the same but still like is that it
0: <laughs> i do that's my that's probably one of my my only two uh royal memories is one when we were i was uh in in adelaide with the wife and and Princess Di went went by, but the the one that sort of scarred me for the very for, from a very very young age, I think it was in first class kindergarten, something like that. We we're in the country, sort of middle of New South Wales, stinking hot day, and uh, Charles was I don't know he was doing some Prince Charles was doing some some sort of tour, so we're all lined up there for I think it must have been a, about. Now, two hours in this baking sun waiting for the prince to come by and he was going to be coming down the lane. He was obviously running late, basically did a quick drive by. There was a hand out the window and off he went. And I remember from that point of time thinking, even as a young kid, that just wasn't worth it.
2: I mean, like 100 uh, percent. No offense on um uh, any of the rest of it, but like no one is going to decide that the monarchy is fantastic based on standing outside for Charles for two hours oh, and, no. and then and then the reward is Charles. Uh, but, <laughs> but we do have this kind of idea of the Queen as being, uh, as having a sense of humour and being kind of like fun and chill and like oh yeah, she's just kind of one of us. Um, that is a absolute and utter uh, victory of her PR um, campaign. Uh, yeah. If you kind of go mm-hmm. back 40 years or um, 60 years, uh, and I don't think anyone would be like, what's the queen like? It's like, oh, she's got a great sense of humor. It's like, no, she's she's the queen. She She's the, the epitome of like British stiff upper lip, never show any emotion or have any opinion about anything the entire fun queen um tm um has is really quite recent uh and is uh it feels like purely a marketing campaign uh, which we have all very much kind of like bought into include like so i was a tour guide in uh london for six to eight years and my bread and butter was talking about how fun the queen was to Americans, but really they're all second, third, fourth hand stories, which are incredibly easy to manufacture or mm. um, uh, exaggerate, uh, which come from people who are incredibly close to the Royal family who care about the Royal family being powerful uh, and constant
0: I mean, it is a very it, it is a very savvy institution. You know, you're talking about hundreds of years and generations that think about their generation, the next, and the ruling generations after that. So they're thinking in time frames that are, are much longer than most people, most the mm. average person thinks in. But they are for, for all the. Uh, you know, assumptions about them—they are a very, a, a very strong and knowledgeable, like socially knowledgeable institution, and it would be no surprise to me to to know that their their people behind the scenes have said we have to fundamentally change our appearance now that the the internet is coming into into play, now that we're seeing a change in the the media. Uh, you have advisors and courtiers and all that that for, for centuries have been sniffing the mood of the public and massaging mm. the, the royals into the appropriate, in, in inverted commas, perception for for the people.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's the point. It's like regardless of whether you think of the royals as being particularly savvy, they can employ mm. people who are.
1: Yep. Mm. Uh,
2: which kind of almost... So you can gesture at the crown on Netflix and mean like what a fantastic marketing campaign.
0: Yeah, because you don't get to mm. do that level of of show without some uh without a lot of royal assent. It's a, it's the same as looking as a, a, an American military movie. Uh if mm. you want it to be a good one, you've got to have the institution on your side. Same goes for the crown. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: I think I might just shift this conversation more into the Australian reaction. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I personally felt that the Australian Republic movement was caught a bit flat-footed um, and didn't really have much of a response. I mean, besides... it was
2: completely crazy that she died. Uh, no one could have seen it coming. Um, it was so incredibly unlikely. Uh I, I would not have imagined that a ninety-six-year-old woman would die of old age. It's I'm shocked.
1: Yeah, um, and so it it did feel quite jarring though, seeing like the official republic movement putting out a statement about how what a great queen she was, and Malcolm Turnbull basically going like, you know, a light has gone from the world. Um, yay monarchy. Um, and even Elbo
0: saying, "Well, look, out of deep respect for the Queen, we won't even be talking about a referendum in this this first term." I mean, suddenly the the reality
1: oh, they of won't that... But go to anyway. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean,
1: but he's appointed a minister for the republic. Yeah,
2: no. Okay, <laughs> okay yes, but I, come on, who thinks that he would have tried to make a republic happen while the Queen was still alive? No. Yeah. Uh, no, and- no, but he's
1: also ruled it out for his Ooh. second term. Ooh. Yeah, that's sure, that's, yes, that's what I was yes,
0: meaning. Yeah. Yeah
2: yes but like here's the thing is that as i said the monarchy is popular when they're dying um from this point in the monarchy's popularity is going to decline in australia um if they decide to have like the sooner they have the referendum the less less likely it is to pass and it's a labor kind of push regardless of whether or not it's seen as that at the time like the labor party is the one who's making it happen and if it fails and it kind of reflects badly on Labour. Like, they've, they're incentivised to do it as late as possible, as long as Charles is still the king.
0: Oh God, I Just, just, just harkening back to what we were saying, I just thought, wouldn't it, and thinking about what Charles could do, imagine the, how it would screw with people's heads if Charles came out in favour of Australia being a republic.
2: I mean the 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 most useful thing that Charles could do for the monarchy at the moment is die. Oh <laughs> no!
0: <laughs> yeah, look, I'm I'm oh. so I'm with I'm with you, uh, Apricot to a to a quite a a fair degree on that one. I look, I can I can understand the gritted teeth of let's give a a period of respect for a period of, of mourning. And I do feel like we're starting to see uh, a little bit of a stirring up on the um, pro-Republic side. However, there should have been a whole campaign just waiting in the, the wings. And as, as Anka said, you know, it was it was just a case of, well, are we doing it this year, next year or the year after? Uh, after the official period of mourning is gone out, should have been, well, respectfully, now we have to move on to the big question and mm. a, an all-out campaign, but it's it's been a bit of a nothing.
2: It, it is kind of surprising that they didn't have a savvier way of um, saying we're not going to talk about the Republic at the moment. Um, it's, it's, it's completely unsurprising that they're not going to talk about it right now because popularity, dying, popular, sure. Um, but they could have – and this this is one of the things that I found about the response of the Greens – um, is that I generally kind of agree with the Greens' response. And knowing some Green MPs, the way or the things that they said were incredibly mild. <laughs> um, uh, and it's like I was a little bit surprised at how much the right wing media kind of like jumped on them in terms of like, how dare you say that this is the right time to talk about blah, 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 whatever. Um, but the response could have been savvier, um from I think pretty much everyone on the pro-republic side. Uh it feels like they didn't put quite enough preparation into the what like exactly what they were going to say. Like they knew they knew the content, but they didn't do it in the best possible way, which shows that they didn't spend enough time thinking about the best possible way, which when you're coming up against a thousand-year-old institution mm. means that you're probably going to lose because they do think about these things in huge amounts of timeframes, as you mentioned yep. earlier, I did. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's that's more powerful than a lot of people realize, I think.
2: Mm. Mm.
0: And I do I do wonder too, we're having um in a well, there's another Reddit talk that I, I, I do over on the, the r Australian um, sub Reddit, and a point that had come up there when we were talking about it uh, that I had seen was whether or not this concept of the royals being well, there were two points whether the royals being viewed as being better in inverted comments and also uh, being head of a Christian church whether that is going mm-hmm. to play against them in an australian uh, society particularly when you've got a lot of the uh, you know uh, gen z's millennials gen uh, i can't remember the the different things but you've got a long uh, a lot of younger voters coming up who see those as uh, uh, unpalatable uh, qualities in an institution. I'm wondering whether that is actually going to, to be a force that can be harnessed and whether it's going to something, be something that works against the, uh, the, the monarchy uh, I mean, this in is Australia.
2: Actually, this is a really interesting point. Um, uh, and something which I used to say on all of my tours is the United Kingdom is not a monarchy. It's a theocracy. The uh, mm. king, Charles mm. III, is the head of the state and the state religion. Um, it is part of the belief system of the Church of England that God picked him to be the head of state of Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which, I mean, I think could make even any committed Christian go, uh, oh, maybe he doesn't have the best of ideas, this God person, but whatever. Mm. Um, but it's, I, it's, like, that is a reality that i think most people don't really think about that much um and uh so apparently and i can't remember where like this is very much a rumor i picked up and i don't have the definitive um both charles and william at various points have uh approached the australian government uh saying i wouldn't mind being the governor general of australia um, and in both cases, they were rebuffed by the, uh, whoever the prime minister was at the time being like, no, we want an Australian in this particular mm. role. I, I think it's been like 60 years, or 70 years since there's been a British person in that role. And I think 80 years since it was a member of the royal family. Uh, but I actually, and again, anti-monarchist, Republican, et cetera, et cetera, I would have liked Charles William to be the governor general, like living over here, signing our laws, shaking people's hands, because we are a monarchy. And pretending that we're not, or just ignoring the entire thing, isn't right. um, Regardless of whether or not you're a monarchist or a republican, it's like, we are currently a monarchy. This is the system of government that we have, where the head of state in Australia is also the head of the Anglican church who was picked by God, uh, whose child was picked by god to be the king of australia uh if you're a monarchist accept that like make the argument that that is the system that you want have that system Mm -hmm. in front of everyone um so that we can all go yeah absolutely i want my monarch to be picked by god and born into the position uh which i don't want uh but yeah, the problem yeah. with the Republican movement in Australia is it's not enough to say, I don't want this system. Um, this is a position which um, uh, the, what's the, 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 the gentleman on the project, I can't remember his name, um, Indian chap. Oh, oh the, God, the pro
0: what uh, right. Ali. Uh,
2: <laughs> yes, there we go. No. Thank you. Yeah, Ali, <laughs> um, yeah Ali. Uh, yeah, he, he made a point recently that is not enough to say, I don't like this system you have to say here is a better system um and then oh. he turned around and said we should have an aboriginal head of state and call them the elder and blah 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 and i think the average response was uh, n- n- no th- no this is a yeah. bad idea uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um i do kind of agree with his first part it's like it's not enough to say no to monarchy you have to say monarchy and then replace it with x and x needs to be better and we all need to agree on x as opposed to just like no to the current set of things, but not having a good replacement.
0: Oh, that's a re- that's that's mm. really interesting. I think if you were oh yeah, God, if that would be an interesting line to 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 push from the uh, yeah from the Republican movement. Yeah, really emphasize that. That's a I like that angle.
2: And the other really fascinating thing, um, like the problem that America has at the moment is that they have a separately elected head of state and Congress. And I think America is the only country that has that system that hasn't had a civil war between those two groups. Um, I don't want to put Australia into a position where we elect our head of state and our head of state has power and we elect our Congress or Parliament and our Parliament has power separately so that they can clash. Um, I want one government Uh, I don't want two separate governments who have like different ways of like engaging. We already have a problem with the States uh, in terms of um, Senate versus House of Representatives. I don't want to add a third different, equally powerful group to have another conflict to stop anything from happening.
1: Mm. Mm. Now, just quickly, before we move on, may I suggest that you read some of the comments? I was... And then before we get into our final topic, I'd like to just quickly say something. But after the comments.
0: All right, yep. We've got a couple of comments here. Nitsujites, uh, just wanted to check that uh, Albo is the PM. Uh, we have a couple of comments from our one of our regular listeners, Ben Along. I think Albanese is right. Wait until Labor's second term to discuss the Republic. After the coronation, and after we have seen how Charles performs as monarch, and also, I think we made... should just
2: all start referring to him as King Charles because he is King Charles. Just like really kind of make sure everyone's aware constantly.
0: Yes, the the, the, the God chosen King Charles. Yeah, uh, or I, just I, the king. I like that. Yeah, yeah, the, the King. Uh, we have heard the pro and uh, Ben along had also said, we have heard the previous Prime Minister say that God chose him. To be prime minister, uh, <laughs> I've never heard Lizzie or Charles say the same thing about being monarch. Well, it's written down there; it's it's down there in paper. In fact, by that argument, everything that uh, all legislation that Morrison passed was literally condoned by God. So that's an interesting little twist on that. And God finally, we have, king. yeah, God save the king. Uh, and finally, we have a, a comment from uh, No Macaroon Two Four Nine Zero. Oh, wow, I never actually thought about the fact the crown of England was a theocracy. But now that I think about it, yeah, not something a lot of people I know would want uh, or agree with. Interesting conversation. So thank you for all those comments from from people there. Oh, and just pop in one more Papa Zombino. Papa Zambino, I thought the divine right of kings was extinguished. Uh, and just you, you can probably clarify that anger. It's, it's, uh, is it actually divine right or it's a, uh, it's, it's more, uh, uh, you, you can detail that.
2: Yeah. So, um, this is quite interesting. The, the history of England, uh, I guess, um, uh, when you kind of think about it starting at 1066 with uh Willing the conqueror and you have to start somewhere so it may as well be there at that time it was the divine right of kings mm-hmm. uh Willing the conqueror had the biggest army and god was in his side which is why he kept winning battles what he said goes between then and now just very very slowly that power has been diffused um, first to sorry excuse me first to the nobles um with the um various charters, um so the magna carta is the one that we think of but like there was a few kind of written around there which kind of like diffused it out to the nobles um it's very funny kind of like all the sovereign citizens kind of like we have rights because of this It's like no you don't no the magna <laughs> carta did not give a shit about the peasants and you are a peasant um but regardless uh, and bit by bit kind of it just diffused more and more and more so like democracy slowly started happening um but i i I think the great reform act in 1825 um, is the first time we'd look at the version of democracy in the United Kingdom and say, okay, this is the start of proper proper democracy. And at that point, 5% of British people could vote. And that was a massive improvement over what it had previously been. Um, So like, it's kind of a slow, whatever. Um, But regardless, uh, the point that I'm kind of making is that under Queen Victoria, and like over the past 200 years, 150 years of those has been under two queens, Victoria and then Elizabeth. Um, we're really not used to kings. Um, but under Queen Victoria, the rights of the monarch uh, were kind of codified as the right to be informed, um, the right to be consulted, and the right to warn. So basically, uh, in the United Kingdom, once a week, the monarch and the prime minister have a meeting. And regardless of how else you think of the monarch's power once a week they talk to the Prime Minister and they basically say um, uh, the Prime Minister has to tell them what they're doing they have to say what do you think and then the monarch can be like I think that's a bad idea and that's the extent really of what can happen during those conversations that is still a ridiculous amount of power to invest in one family uh, for 200 years or so Um, So it really gives kind of a constituency of one uh, to the prime minister, even though under Elizabeth II, uh, she always supported the prime minister. Um, And those conversations as well uh, are are classified. Um, No one is allowed to say what happened within them. Um, David Cameron actually got into a massive amount of uh, problem over here when he told the Queen uh, that Scotland had voted to remain in the Union. And he said, I told her that, and she purred, um, which, Uh. weird. Uh, But, like, that was a... Like he had to turn around and apologize for making that statement because it was um, outside the bounds of what he was allowed to comment on because he's not, they weren't supposed to comment on those particular conversations.
0: Yeah, right. Oh, look, I do remember that one. And look, I suppose from uh, one centralization of, of power, our next topic is going to be uh, mm-hmm. talking about another centralization of, of power in the, the UN. So I'm thinking we're leading into that after you make your announcement, Apricot.
1: Uh let's on an announcement just more I don't know how many of you guys continue to watch Insiders because you gotta know you hate yourselves um, however, Senator Jane Hume was a guest this morning, and uh there is now after insiders we've got you know how there's usually that like one scene that one line that gets taken um as like oh wow, okay and uh Senator Jane Hume has i think aptly described the current liberal party. Um, and they're thinking by saying, we don't have policies. We are in opposition, not in government. <laughs> I, they, they were like that in government, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, This was in response to a question by David Spears asking whether or not the Liberal Party believes the fuel exercise cut should come to an end. Ooh, and it was essentially, Jesus. no, don't ask me. It was our policy. We implemented it. But don't ask me. <laughs>
2: Um, this very much oh, a, like, um, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen the Monty Python sketch, uh, about the argument. Um, it's like, this isn't an argument. It's just contradiction. No, which isn't. Uh... <laughs> 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 oh
1: dear. Dear, oh, dear. Well, on that note, we might move on to our final topic, uh, which is that, uh, Australia should compensate Torres Strait Islanders for climate crisis failure, UN says. A landmark ruling found that the Morrison government had violated the rights of Indigenous people by failing to take adequate cuts on emissions. What are your thoughts on that, Anger? Um, Well, there's really
2: two issues here. Um, The first one is, is that true? Have they violated uh, Indigenous rights and failing to take cuts on emissions? And speaking of someone who's not indigenous i think they've uh, my rights on that but that's neither here nor now but the second issue is so what i mean the un has spent a lot of time criticizing australia for our violation of human rights in a much less um uh in a much less theoretical way uh, in terms of how we've uh treated refugees uh mm-hmm. on Nauru or Manus island and and <laughs> like that hasn't changed our actions in any way
1: shape or form so and we have elbow making jokes about it
2: yeah so th- this comes
1: down to my kind of like question
2: so what like i agree but so what
0: <laughs> uh look I, t- I tend to think that's a, uh, a that that's a that's a fairly understandable attitude i mean it look i naturally push back against someone like the the UN setting themselves up as as something, as an organisation that can essentially tell Australian taxpayers how their money should be spent and tell Australians what to do. And look, I do understand we've signed up for it and there's Tomes of legalese out there to justify what a, a wonderful thing it is, but basically we're talking about a, a, a essentially a, a, a larger, distant, unelected uh, government searching for more power and uh, trying to trying to push other other governments. Yeah, you know, other governments around it, it, it. These it generally bothers me when the UN comes out like this. Uh, I, I think as you said, so what, but, uh, I look at this, and I think how on earth are they seriously able to imply that climate change is so localized that a few years of government mismanagement can cause this localized effect. I understand that they're, they're, they're using this as trial cases. I understand there's just, uh, pages of nuance here, uh, I think though the simple message is, it's for me. It's saying, well, this uh, th- this period of the Morrison government didn't do the right thing as far as we're concerned. I mean, you know, you can ask the question according to, to to whom didn't do the right thing, and so locally we've got this issue here, which they're they're somehow liable for. It just it it doesn't really pass much scrutiny, and it's not about science; it's about politics. And, uh, and and social politics. And it just, uh, the, the whole thing, the whole thing's a farce to me.
1: So, so a key thing here um, is to basically kind of highlight that, you know, um, the UN committee hasn't said, like, Australia owes compensation to these other random people. It says that they owe compensation to Australians, that the Australian government has a duty to its own people yep. to be taking action on climate change, and it has failed demonstrably in that effect. Um, so, like, like I, like, I think it's just important to say that, like, the UN's not saying climate change is Australia's fault; they should pay everyone. It's saying that, like, the Australian government has failed its own people. No,
0: but it's it's region it's it's essentially regional regionalizing a global uh, issue. As if it can be neatly divided up into, I can't remember what the the current plan is to divide up the the world into sort of manageable uh, chunks. Not not from a conspiracy, but from a, a, a efficient bureaucratic point of view. Um, there's there's a, a word for that, and I can't remember what it is. But they're, they're regionalizing something. No, it's, if, if it comes to me, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll... yeah, yeah, yeah right. Uh, I don't see how you can even possibly imply that there's some regionalizing responsibility in a global issue. I, I get what you're saying, Apricot. I just I just don't think it passes the sniff test.
1: But again, it's not actually regionalizing it. It's localizing it because it's saying the government has failed its own people. It's not saying that the Australian government has failed the people of New Zealand or Papua New Guinea, which arguably we have. Um, it's specifically saying that our own citizens have been failed by, and Australia
2: is an interesting test case for that because we don't have a treaty with our indigenous people. Um, and so the fact that you can, from a legal point of view, look at Australia as an occupying nation who has not engaged with the indigenous people, who is then, um, doing like taking various actions which are in the process of making life worse for the Indigenous people, um, I can see why this was an interesting legal test case um, uh, in the UN. And at the end of the day, um, there's a huge amount of climate litigation going through various courts throughout the world because it seems to be the only thing that is actually working. um, especially in the context of the anti-process laws that are um, going through in uh, Petro states like Australia and the United States.
0: Look, that's and you, you sort of hit upon the the problem there when you're talking about test cases and that there's a you know a expression, science plus politics equals politics. To me, this isn't <laughs> about <laughs> science. This is just this is just about politics. I mean, if you, can start to, if you can start to say, well, look, Australia, uh, we're holding them responsible for what has happened in the, the Torres Strait based on uh, emissions and everything. Once you start to do that, you ignore the science that this is a, a global problem.
2: I, I, yeah. Hold on. I'm not sure that that's right because, um, as Apricot said, like in regards to the Torres Strait, these are Australian citizens. Uh, And so the argument is that Australia is not doing enough to protect these Australian citizens um, from the... Oh, it's 145. I've got no idea what I'm saying. Um, From the consequences of Australia's actions in regards to fossil fuels. Uh, So, uh, yes, they could have tried to sue, hypothetically, Russia uh, in the UN for that I probably wouldn't have gone very far but that would have made it uh, international as opposed to as Africa said like a local case Australian citizens taking the Australian government to the United Nations because you do need a space to be able to pursue this kind of legislation and that's the one that they've chosen.
0: Look I'm, 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 I might well be missing something very very basic here. So I'm you know there's plenty of things I've been wrong about and, and misunderstood. Uh, yet the point you made about uh, they could have just as easily taken, uh, you know, Russia or maybe say uh, China or, or, or India or some of the other um, or, or the US, or some of the other other polluters there, which means that it does underscore that uh, there's that there's that uh, sort of skipping over the yeah that black box then a miracle occurs or you could say then a catastrophe occurs and saying well therefore the australian government has uh, some re- has a direct responsibility for it now i can understand an argument saying we're going through climate change as a problem you need to be supporting the impact of that on our community i've got no issues with that as a premise what I have an issue with is a as a premise is that a situation that is global, trying to reduce it down to one government in one instant, as if that can actually be quantified and responsibility given there. I mean, am, am I missing something basic here?
2: Um, I would like I would suggest that like the metaphor is if you've got someone who is having a huge amount of stones thrown at them by various amounts of people and they can only sue one of those people. It doesn't even really matter if that stone did a lot of the damage or even uh, um, any of the damage. Um, But the fact that that person was in the crowd throwing stones and that they are um, uh, Mm. vulnerable to uh, a lawsuit means that, they're the person who's going to get sued so i it's not even necessarily the fact that australia is a massive carbon polluter that we are um Mm. but it's the fact that australia is the only uh nation state that is vulnerable to being sued by an australian group of people which is why they are being sued by the australian group of people and it's just it's kind of useful that australia on top of that is also per person like one of the highest polluters and also provides a huge amount of coal to the rest of the world to pollute as much as possible as well
0: right look okay I can I, I okay I can see I can see that as a, a premise I have an issue with the the other one but yeah look I can I can I can see that as a again as a legal premise so really we're talking politics we're talking legal but we're not really talking sites um
2: yeah, <laughs> um, I, I, I get your point, uh, but um, a, Australia, per person, is one of the worst polluters at the moment, um, so it does kind of make sense from a scientific point of view as well, but I do get your point on that. Mm.
0: Yeah, look, I get I get your I get your point as well. So that's a that's a that's a fair clarification. Thanks.
1: Man, we should we should hug after this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hands across the pond.
1: <laughs> I am just conscious of the time, especially for you, yeah. Anger. Um <laughs> so before we wrap up, I might just ask you guys. With this court case, do we see more of these happening in the future? Do we think this will become an established thing or is this kind of a one-off interesting legal test case?
0: There will be an insane rash of these court cases that will ec- accelerate almost exponentially around the world is my prediction. This is just this uh, an opening opening gambit.
2: I mean, this isn't even close to an opening gambit, I would say. This is um, about... Uh, a part way through, like there are already a huge amount of court cases right. um, being brought uh, in both national and international courts. Um, I, if anyone after listening to this decides to listen to another podcast, um, but of course, this is the only one that they should listen to, but after that, um, huh. drilled uh, by Amy Westervelt. Uh, Sorry, say that again, um, please. Drilled, drilled by Amy Westervelt uh, and I think she's got another one. She's got another one called Hot Take. Um, they go into at various points a bunch of the other court cases that are being um, pushed forward against uh, in the Netherlands and uh, in the EU and in various other places, uh, talking about how climate litigation is being uh, fought. Um, by uh, much like um, when Susan Lay was brought to court by the Australian students who were like, she's not thinking about our future. Like this this has been going on for a while and it's going on for a while because it is the only thing that's effective. Um, So I wouldn't say that this is the beginning. I'd say that this is kind of like a bit into it, but we are gonna see a lot more um, over the next uh, couple of decades. Uh, and what's quite interesting is that the courts don't they 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 won't accept arguments about whether or not climate change is real, according to the courts. climate change is real. the legal question is whether or not governments have an obligation to do something about it, and that in itself is kind of an interesting position that legally um, a lot of these countries are on
0: oh. Well, I've added that. I've, I've just put a note in the comments about that that podcast uh, drilled and a link to their into to their website. What's your final finishing comments on this apricot?
1: I think that we will definitely see more court cases about this. I also think we'll see more court cases focusing on Australia about this. Um, and I do my final thoughts really is actually a bit of a quote from Mark Dreyfus um so and reading from this article um the attorney general mark draper said the new labor government was committed to working with torres strait islanders on climate change and stressed the complaint was lodged under the previous government uh the australian government engages in good faith with the human rights committee in relation to any complaint received he said and i'm going to say bullshit
2: <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't see me right now, but I'm trying very hard to stifle a laugh. <laughs> oh,
0: finish.
1: Oh, <laughs> all
2: right,
1: thank you all for joining us. Uh, Anger, you especially. I'm sorry for it being yeah. so early.
2: Great effort. I, I great do apologise for missing the first 15 minutes. Well, um, you I got here and so. made up for it. <laughs> yeah. thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you for having me
1: all good. Bye-bye. See
2: ya. See ya. (laughs)